0: series called ships and what this series is going to be about it's words that end in s-h-i-p and it's going to be an eight-week series and it's the essential values that keep the church afloat today we're going to talk about sonship if you would when you found Luke chapter number 15 this morning stand with me as we read God's Word and the title of this morning's message is called sonship s-o-n s-h-i-p sonship and the Bible talks about parable right here and it's the parable of the prodigal son as we all know it growing up, but we're going to look at it with a little bit different aspect this morning. And so as we read this scripture, I'm going to ask that God will open your hearts and your minds to hear this parable in a completely different way than you've ever heard it before. And so Luke chapter number 15 and verse number 11, as we read the word of God, he says, and he said there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father father give me my share of the property that is coming to me and he divided his property between them and not many days later the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey to a far-off country and there he squandered his property in reckless living and when he had spent everything he had a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need and in great lack and so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country and the boss sent him out into the fields to feed the pigs and And when he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything but then he came to himself one version says he came to his senses but when he came to his senses he said how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread but I perish here with hunger I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say to him father I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son treat me though as one of your hired servants and he arose and he came to his father but well he was still a long way off and that's a good part of the story his father saw him and he felt compassion for him and so he ran to him and he embraced him and he kissed him and the son said to his father father today I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son but the father said to his servants bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for my son was dead and now is alive again he was lost and now he is found And they began to celebrate. Now his older brother was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come your father has killed the fatted calf because he received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he asked his father, look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes and you killed the fatted calf for him, and he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For your brother was dead and now is alive, he was lost, and now he is found. Now I know that was a little bit longer reading than I normally do, but I wanted to read to you the whole parable. Now this story sets up, if you go back to the first verse of Luke chapter number 15, it says Jesus was teaching and now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were there and they grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. I had to read that verse because we're gonna set the stage this morning. I want you to get in a whole different mindset today. Think of this morning as a theatrical play. You know in the theatrical plays they have different scenes and they have the opening scene. The opening scene is this. Jesus is out teaching and preaching and all the people of Israel, God's chosen people, have gathered around. Many times we read this parable and we read the parable under the impression that the one younger brother that ran off and squandered everything are the lost people in the world. And the older brother is the good church person who's born again, but that's not true. See, both sons were in covenant with God. Both sons were in the nation of Israel. Both sons had authority from their father. Both sons were in covenant. So it's not about a lost person and a saved person. In fact, this is talking about two different types of sons or two different types of born-again people in the kingdom of God. So I hope this is getting a different aspect in your life already. And so the stage is being set and Jesus is teaching and all these people are gathering around him. And now you have two different types of people. You have the sinners and the tax collectors. Can I say, y'all are that side over here? Will y'all be my sinners and tax collectors? And then you have another group of people over here called the Pharisees and the scribes, or the good church people, as we would know. Can y'all be my good church people? All right, we good here? But what I want you to know is all these two diverse groups of people are gathering around Jesus, and Jesus recognizes this. So Jesus begins to tell a story. Now, a parable is this. It's an earthly story in earthly settings with earthly illustrations that have a huge heavenly meaning, okay? That's what a parable is. And so Jesus begins to tell a parable or a story to relate to these two diverse groups of people that have gathered around. Now, the younger brother represents the people who are in covenant with God, but they're the sinners and the tax collectors that are really not living out the will of God and walking in the power of God or the authority that they have as a son the other group of people are the Pharisees and the scribes they're the goody-goodies that go to church all the time that do everything that they're supposed to do they do it just right but at the end of the story you'll hear a phrase and I'll elaborate it on it in a minute it said son you are always with me and everything that I have has always been yours is the true interpretation of that and so you have another group of people that are always active in the church but they're not walking in the power of God either so we got two sons here, two groups of people. Neither are walking in the power of God. We as the body of Christ, it doesn't matter where you're at in this life. If you are born again and you know Jesus Christ, it is time that we become sons of the most high God and begin to walk in a greater power and a greater authority than we've ever walked in, amen. So I don't care if you were on a drunken binge last night and drug yourself into church, there's an authority for you to walk in. Can I get an amen from this side? And I don't care if you were a goody-goody last night and set your clock an hour early and even went to bed an hour early and got here 15 minutes before Sunday school started and we're wondering, where is everybody else at? (laughs) Can I get an amen? amen? There is an authority that this group of people wasn't walking in either. I need you to rethink your whole definition of sin. I need you to rethink your whole definition of what a son is. And I need you to personally think, am I walking in everything that my God has for me? Because this group of people over here, the sinners and the tax collectors, are under the guilt all the time of God couldn't use somebody as worthless as me, and you don't walk in authority. This group of people over here is mad because God's using people over there, but I've been in the church forever, and why won't God use me? If y'all can relate, give me a good amen. Amen. And don't get mad at these people, they're just illustrations, okay? (laughs) And y'all don't get mad at those people, because I don't know of any of them that were on a drunken binge last night, amen? (laughs) Amen. So we're good, just setting the stage here, making sure we're clean. So scene one opens up. You have the opening act, and Jesus sets the stage. Scene one, you have the younger son, and Jesus begins to talk about scene one, act one, the beginning of it. And he begins to tell about this son. When the son comes in, he says, the man had two sons, and the one said, Father, give me my share of the inheritance scene one act one is the request give me my share of the inheritance the request so the issue is in the Jewish culture if you were to ask for your inheritance before the death of your parents basically like me walking up to my dad and saying dad and looking him square in the face and saying dad I wish you were dead give me my money I'm gone That's the exact interpretation in Jewish culture. So scene one, act one, is the son comes in and demands a request from the father. Most people in the Jewish culture, because they did believe in spare the rod, spoil the child if that was said to their parents, they would have literally threw their kid a beating and then granted their request and forced them out of the house with no money, with no choices, with no option to say, fend for yourself. Because it was the greatest disgrace to a parent to have your child say, I wish you were dead. Because if you'll remember the Old Testament, the Bible says, honor your father and your mother, for this is the first commandment with a blessing so kids if you want your life to be good this is way off my subject line if you want your life to be good as kids honor your father and your mother because the Bible says it's the first commandment with a blessing and the blessing is this that all will go well with you and you will live long on the earth parents I'm telling you you want your kids to be well and live long on the earth you teach them honor and so in this process the father he didn't react like a normal father he says okay this was stunning okay I will grant your request and to grant that request was no small task because the task of that is many people's wealth in those days was not measured by the amount of dollars they had in their pocket but by by the amount of land that they owned and so since there was the father still alive and another son and the son requesting he had to sell a great amount of property divide the money of all of his wealth by three into thirds and gave a third of it to the son that now is about to leave the country and go have a party like he's never partied before. As the father begins to grant the request of the son, don't you know many times it's like God granting some of the requests that we continually, continually beg him for, knowing that it may not be in our best interest, but because he's given you the opportunity to choose life or death, blessings or curses, he'll let you choose. And so this son chose to take his portion of the inheritance, grabbed all this money, and he takes off. Now listen to how the scripture phrases this it says the father sold the property and divided it between them now The term property here I need to make a special note of this the term property here in the Greek does not mean property is land It's translated the word bios bios which means life the father Divided his life between his sons and gave him his life to go to another place and squander it however he wanted. Now remember, the younger son represents the sinners, it represents the tax collectors. And as the Heavenly Father looks down and he sees a group of people that he has given his life to, divided himself, and gave life to this group of people and they took it but yet they were living way below their authority as a child of god so scene one act one we have the request and now that the request is made known we know that the son ran off and he began to squander all his money with wealth and wild living and he went on the greatest road trip ever he has the party of all parties and then i love this verse and the bible says he comes to his senses there's a wake-up call A lot of people in the American culture say, when he hits rock bottom, then he'll finally have no place to look but up. But what we don't realize is that without Christ, you're already at rock bottom. And all you're doing from that point on is destroying the physical temple that he's given you to let life reside in. He comes to his senses, and this is what he says. I am not worthy to be a son. So I will see if I can go to my father's house and be a hired servant in my father's house. And when he goes back to his father's house, he makes the decision, I'm going to start walking that way. Some of you this morning, you're in this boat. You're saying, I've been gone from God for so long. I want you to come to your senses. And the first part of a journey of a thousand miles is one step. And I want to challenge you this morning. I don't care where you're at, whether you're born again and you think you're living right or whether you're lost and you know you're not living right. I want you to take a step of faith this morning when we're done and step into a newfound authority that you have in Christ Jesus and the Bible says the son came to his senses and as he started back on the return after the party and after everything that life had to offer what he thought life really was he begins to come back and as he's coming back he's approaching his father's property once again or his father's life once again and this is, this is the most greatest act of love, especially after you hear the first part about, I wish you were dead, Dad. And then the father sees him at a distance. You don't see something at a distance unless you're looking for it. And I don't care where you're at this morning, God's looking for you. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord range to and fro throughout the whole earth to find those who are dedicated to him or those who he can depend on. God's not sitting back haphazardly in an easy chair, waiting for you to stroll on by and hoping he notices you. God is diligently looking for you. And I love this next part. The father begins to see the son at a distance and it is so indecent for a Jewish man to run, especially an old man, and I'll tell you why. Because they dressed in long robes, and to run, he would have had to pull his robe up to be able to run, and he would have had to hold it where he was completely exposed to the world. God's not worried about how exposed he is to the world when he's running after you. God has exposed himself in all his great love. He's laid it out there in his one and only son, Jesus Christ, and this Jewish father begins to run and I guarantee all the maid servants and the men servants are like, what is going on? Because Jewish men didn't run. And as he ran to his son, listen to what his son says. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And what is this father's response? He didn't even acknowledge it. He didn't even acknowledge the apology because he had already made up in his own mind that when my son comes home, not if he comes home, when my son comes home, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put a robe on his back. I'm going to put a ring on his fingers. I'm going to put sandals on his feet, and he is my son again. And the son that was dead, the worst of the worst, is now alive once again and listen to this the robe that he put on his son is symbolic of freedom the freedom you have in Christ Jesus the Bible talks about though our righteousness is as filthy rags there is a robe of righteousness that is talked about in the book of Revelation and that robe of righteousness is the robe he put on his son a brand new robe which represented freedom in Christ Jesus freedom back into the family the ring that he put on his fingers represented authority once again because when you had a ring you had authority and the sandals that were on his feet represented he was no longer a slave but a son once again because slaves didn't have shoes, only sons did. And so when he said, I give you a robe, I give you a ring, I give you shoes, he said, and he received him back into the family safe and sound. End of scene one. Scene two comes on. The older brother, hey, I'm going to talk to you guys for a little bit. The older brother's listening out, is out in the field working, and he's approaching the house too, and he doesn't know his younger brother's arrived yet. And he sees the party of all parties happening at the house, and he comes up to his homie and says, hey, man, what's going on? And the guy says, hey, your brother, the one who ran off, the one who took all your money, and the one who went away and partied all year long, and the one who came, he's, he's finally back. And your daddy said, throw a party, and he received him back again as a son. Whew, <sighs> uh That didn't set well with the older brother. See, a lot of us are thinking, why would he not have celebrated along with the family? Why would he not have thrown a party as well? Why would he not have joined in in the festivities? Because what you don't understand is when he received him back into the family again as a son, you know how he already got his third and went off and spent it? So this two-thirds is now 100%. Now that he's a son again, he's entitled to a third of this again. So the brother, who already lost a third of all his stuff, now the other son comes back, he loses it again. And the Pharisees is who he's talking to. The religious people is who he's talking to begin to get mad at Jesus at this point. Because this is why they said, this man eats with sinners and tax collectors. We've done right all our life, God, and yet you're receiving them back? We've done right all our life. Now listen to how this scene 2 unfolds, this act 2 unfolds here. The older son, in his anger, let's talk about the anger for a minute. The father starts throwing a party and he shows his disapproval for his father's decision blatantly the Bible says he refused to go inside that means he stood outside the house while everybody else was coming in partying and everybody that walked by saw his disapproval of his father's decision now as much as this was a slap in the face of what he did and said, I wish you were dead. Now it's the older son's turn to disgrace the father. He's saying, Father, I think you are stupid and have no wisdom in your decisions. I'm gonna stand outside the door and show my disapproval for what you're doing. And listen, when they threw a party like this, it wasn't just for immediate family, they invited the whole village, they invited all the townspeople. It's like when we have Hopkins County Stew Contest, <laughs> we got the whole town showing up for this thing. So everybody who walked by saw the disapproval that the older son had for the father because of his anger and what was going on. He slapped his father in the face. The the cost. Listen to what the older brother says. But father, you never even gave me a goat to celebrate with. But yet for him, you kill the fatted calf? Well, why is that significant? The goat is this. Goats were uh, a dime a dozen, I guess you would say. The fatted calf was a rarity. Maybe once or twice in a lifetime you would kill the fatted calf. It was reserved for the very most special of special celebrations and so the older son sees this and he goes to his father and says father I don't understand I've been with you all this time and you never even gave me a goat so I can have a party with my friends with but for him you throw the party of all times and you kill our most prized possession for him now the disgrace that the younger son previously showed the father the older son is showing just the exact same amount of disgrace towards the father, just in a whole different aspect. And as I previously mentioned, his anger gets the best of him. And when he received him back as a son, now he just didn't have all his friends coming to party with them. He shows his father public disgrace. And not only did he not even ever get a goat, but now he's killing the fatted calf for him. He's twice as mad. And then now that he's a son, he's entitled to a third of everything that was his as well do you kind of understand why he's mad now? Do you kind of understand it's like the one son who just runs off in today's world and spends all the money he has, and then he comes back, and mommy and daddy still take care of him, and you got the responsible son who never left the house, always stayed home, and every time the parents bail him out, they bail him out, They bail him out. And we have this in the United States where one brother or family member gets disgruntled because they are so mad because they've done good all their life, but yet they're treated bad. And every time they mess up, they come home and apologize, and the party gets thrown for them. What you don't understand, that is if you would ask anything of your parents being the good son, how much more would they give unto you? How much more would God give unto you? The Bible says those of you who are evil know how to give good gifts, but your heavenly Father who is good, how much more when you ask him will he give good gifts to his sons? So there's an authority that the older son had but he never walked in he had the access of heaven at his side the whole time and he never walked in it remember Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees these are the scribes and the teachers of the law they knew the Bible better than anyone they just didn't know their authority that they had with it they didn't know the authority that they had so as scene 2 is unfolding you have the younger son now inside partying the older son outside throwing the biggest uh, disgraceful pity party that the world's ever seen And then the brother goes on to say, Dad, this is how much I disagree with what you're doing. Dad, this is how much I disagree with what's going on. The older brother says they began to compare records of their lifestyle. He says, Dad, look, I've never disobeyed you. He starts throwing out the record. Remember when your kid's growing up? Mom, I never do anything wrong, and and I always get in trouble anyway. (laughs) You remember those days? The older son starts throwing out the record book and said, Dad, I've never disobeyed you. But him he's done all this and you bring him back so the older son's throwing out the record book now and I want you to look at how he talks to his dad remember honor your father and your mother it's the first commandment with the with the blessing he doesn't address him as father he doesn't address him as dad he flat-out gets in his face and said look I've always been here and I never left he gets in his father's face and begins to disgrace him face to face and as he's staring into the eyes of his dad, just gleaming at him, is yelling at him, look, how many of you as parents would have reacted maybe a little differently than this father reacted? I mean, just like the previous son, when he said, Dad, I wish you were dead, the father could have threw him a beating. Right now, the father had every right to throw this son a beating, man. But how many of us good church people who go to church all the time, God, I'm always in church, but you never answer my prayers. Mm, I've been guilty of that before. God, hello, you know, me. We started a church 15 years ago I'd really like an answer to this but yet so-and-so who's lived in hell for the past 20 years comes in and you automatically grant their wish guys I'm not saying I'm above this older son because I found myself studying this out I've responded a lot like the older son sometimes and I know a lot of believers have that oh God we've been faithful to church for six months and we committed to this but you haven't came through yet God really or God I've given my tithes now for three weeks in a row. And you said you would pour open the floodgates of heaven and all I had was a flat tire and a broken water heater. <laughs> really, us good church people. We, when, when the pressure comes on, that's when we see how we talk to Dad. Because we don't address him as Heavenly Father anymore. And, and we don't do the religious Jesus thing. It's our Father who art in heaven, oh, blessed be your name. Uh-uh. When things get tight and in a pinch, God, where are you at? <laughs> Am I wrong? I've been there before, Okay. I've been there with church issues before. <laughs> There's time about 10 years ago when the church wasn't doing really good, actually about seven years ago, and, and we didn't really have enough money. It was Monday morning, and the offering had came in, and it was horrible. I ain't going to lie, it was a horrible offering. We didn't have enough money to, to pay the bills the next week. And I went to God, and I was mad. And I said, God, don't you even care that we're out here in the middle of nowhere where you brought us? <laughs> now, those are some of my exact words. And we don't even have enough money to pay the bills next week and God answered me like this very sweetly very awesomely very powerfully kind of one of those things where it's better than a beaten and he looked at me and said don't you know I'm God I got real quiet y'all I mean quiet I mean scared quiet y'all think I'm playing I ain't playing it was right down there and that when my office wasn't at the end it was that office I mean I got scared quiet and I said God I'm sorry because you are God and If this all goes away tomorrow, it's been an honor serving with you. And I'll do it again tomorrow, the next day. I'll continue on. Because I had disgraced him. I talked to the God of heaven like that. And then the next thing God told me really torqued me off. He said, Write a check for everything you got and get rid of it. You really trust me as God of heaven? Clear it out. It's only 750 bucks. I mean, that's all we had in the church checking account at the time. So we wrote a check to a a ministry that was doing amazing at the time. And I'm like, God, why him? They don't need money. (laughs) Did you see it? (laughs) Do you see how the older son really doesn't have it all together? (laughs) And so we wrote him a check anyway, and I did it joyfully, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver, like we talked about in the offering. See, I battle the same things y'all do. I just don't, and I just like to tell on myself on Sunday mornings. And so we wrote him a check, and the next week came in, and we had a good offering. All the bills were paid. The next week came in, and it was better yet. The next week came in, and it was better yet, and it was better yet. And since that day, we have not lacked in the church one time for what we're calling God to do. It's amazing. And so when the older son got in his father's face and said, look, Dad, I'm disagreeing with everything you're doing, God began to respond to this older son just like God responded to me. Let's look at the response. The father said this to the son, please come into the party. He didn't throw him a beating. He didn't kick him out of the estate either. He looked at him and said, "Please come into the party. Don't you understand what's happening?" And why was he saying that to the Pharisees? Because the Pharisees should have known that when the religious or when the sinners and the tax collectors were coming to Jesus and Jesus was receiving them in, the Pharisees should have been throwing the biggest party of all, but yet they were the most disgruntled because see even good church people got issues too. So I want you to reevaluate your whole whole viewpoint on sin this morning because even if you're a good church person I guarantee you there's issues that the father wants to correct and make you a son and walk in greater authority And so God calls or the, the father calls to the son and says please come in and then he says this to the older son And it's so powerful he explains how much authority that the older son had that he never knew for whatever reason I don't know he never knew about he says son All that I have is yours and it always has been how many times do we sit in church and beg and plead? Oh God, if you would oh God with you would and God's already said all that I have is already yours Just step into it take a step of faith because just as you got born again you were saved by what by grace through faith you inherited salvation so do all the rest of the promises of God come just like salvation by the grace of God because of what he did not what you did by faith in God and what he said and taking God in his word all of the access of heaven is yours and these people the Pharisees the older son didn't know it thus is the close of scene 2 and thus is the close of the parable which actually makes Jesus the worst storyteller ever what happened did the family get reconciled what happened Everybody, all the crowds, they understood Jewish culture so much better than we did because that's who they were. All the crowds are sitting there with, on the edge of their seat, saying, What happened? What happened? Did he go into the party? Did they reconcile? Did he leave? Did we have... So as the soap opera turns again next week, what happened? Jesus? Jesus stops the story because this is what Jesus was saying. The actual account of the whole story that he's telling was not to the sinners and to the religious people, but it was actually directly pointed at the religious people. Everybody could relate to it but many of us in this room we do sit in the seat of the older son and God's saying the decision church is yours you can go off and throw a pity party and you can go off by yourself and you can be mad at all the sinners that are getting saved even though we try to celebrate it but deep down inside there's some undealt with jealousy some anger issues that God I've served you for so long and yet they just now get born again but I see blessing in their life and not in my life See, he was directly pointing to the Pharisees because many of us have a Pharisee spirit on us at times where we say, but God, what about me? And God looks at you and smiles and said, all that I have is yours. See, the younger son, there was an authority that he wasn't walking in. And it was the authority and the power of God's grace that when he would stay in the household of his father everything that he needed would have been provided but he lost it all he had an authority he didn't know about the Pharisees over here had an authority that they didn't know about they stayed in the house but they still were just as impoverished as the younger son or so they thought because they had an authority that they didn't walk about sir the authority that they didn't walk in or didn't know about and in this story we call it the story of the prodigal son actually actually, who is the real prodigal in the story? Who is the real prodigal in the story? Because the word prodigal in the story does not mean, it does not mean wayward, it does not mean wanderer like we've thought about it. It does not mean one who disbanded and went out. The word prodigal actually means, it means recklessly extravagant, having spent everything. The true prodigal in the story is the father. He spent everything to get his son back and he spent everything to keep his son in the house. He spent recklessly and extravagantly to keep his family together. And we know that the father in the story represents God. God is the true prodigal. He spent everything that heaven had to offer for you. Whether you're the drunken binge person or whether you're the religious stereotype person, God spent it all and he gave it to you. And this is what God wants from you this morning. Whether you're over here in this section or whether you're over here in this section, he wants you to become a son, not just somebody who lives in his house we got too many Christians just living in the house and not being sons. we got too many Christians coming to church but not walking in authority. I want this church to rise up in sonship, a newfound authority. Whether you're in this section or whether you represent this section, there's an authority that the body of Christ has not tapped into recently, and it's called being a son of the Most High God. And that's who God said we were. And he spent recklessly and extravagantly to get you to that point. Sonship. If we are going to be a church that strives and thrives and floats and stays above the things of the world, it's going to be because we got a father who is not of this world. It's going to be because we got a God who is higher than the, than, than the, than the tallest mountain who can bring us through the deepest seas. It's because we got a God who wasn't just at the house, but he's a God who is waiting for his son to come home.